hold the cross high so I can see it. That was the cry of the 19-year-old girl burned at the stake for witchcraft. Today we're talking about the women killed during the medieval inquisition and the witch hunt. When we hear the phrase witch hunt, we may think about our present-day situation in the United States. President Trump believes he is being unfairly prosecuted, and he uses the term witch hunt. That's because the idea of this time period and the witch hunt brings up the idea of unfair trials and no-win situations for the accused. That is a pretty accurate picture. We may also have the picture of people literally hunting for witches and trying to find them. This is not an accurate picture. We may also ask ourselves, how could people be so stupid as to believe in witches? When we think that, we're probably putting the cartoon version of witches in our mind. The woman with the tall hat and the large mole that rides a broom across the sky and boils things in large black pots. This is not the witches that were prosecuted during this time period. There were three kinds of witches during this time period. One seen as the good witch that would say spells that would make crops grow and make women have children. The bad witch that would do the opposite, bring bad crops and hurt people. And the witches of literature. The last category is where we get the picture of that cartoon witch the woman with the tall hat flying on the broom and boiling things. No one believed that their neighbor was flying around on a broom at night. People understood the difference between a real witch and one found in literature. However, it was that line between the good and bad witch that had people concerned. If your neighbor had the power to give you good crops, then that same neighbor had the power to give you bad crops, and that was scary. I would also say that witchcraft was and is a real thing. God told people to not have any part in this, and that's because it is a real thing. Today, there's YouTube videos of ex-witches that have become Christians, and their stories of what they could do and what they saw while being practicing witches is very scary. Now, like I said, the Bible tells us that we are not to have any part in witchcraft. And so for the church during this time period, That meant both good and bad witches were outlawed by the church. According to the Bible, there is no good witchcraft. I want to be clear about that. However, in the world of Wicca and witchcraft, there's a teaching of right hand and left hand magic. The right hand being the so-called good magic and the left hand being the dark magic. And here is how the trials would go. An inquisitioner would arrive in town call a town meeting, and let everyone know that for the next few weeks, everyone who had practiced witchcraft or heresies could come and confess. Anyone who confessed would face a punishment, probably a whipping or maybe forced to go on a pilgrimage, aka join the crusades. You could also use this time to turn in someone who is practicing witchcraft or spreading heresy. Now, once the time period of grace was up, anyone who had been turned in would be brought before the court. There was no idea of possible innocence. You had to confess and repent or be killed. 
So if your neighbor said you put a curse on their child who then died, your options were confess and take a punishment or be killed for refusing to confess your sins and therefore showing no signs of remorse. Truly, like I said, it was a no-win situation for the accused. In the cases of heresy, it was usually the followers of Huss, the Hussanites, or the followers of Wycliffe, the Lollards, who were tried. In this case, they would normally confess they did believe and preach this, but they had no plans of stopping. And this would give them the penalty of death. If they said they believed it, but were not preachers, they could face some kind of horrible public punishment, but not death. At the end of the trial period, all the people who had been accused would be paraded through town. Those who were sentenced to die would wear a large cone hat, and that's where we get the dunce hat from. In the center of the square where the town would hold fairs and festivals and wonderful family fun, they would have this kind of gathering instead. Large piles of wood with stakes at the top. Those who were sentenced to death would be tied. The large piles of wood would be set on fire. The others would be punished with stocks or whippings or other horrible tortures. Then, once the punishments had been carried out, the inquisitioners would leave the town and the town was supposed to go back to normal. So, in this time period, to really understand the witch hunts, we need to understand a few things. One, this was not all the time thing. Towns would have inquisitors show up and then leave and then the whole thing was over and probably the inquisitioners would not be back in the town. Two, the trials were very unfair. Three, the line between hearing from God and listening to the Holy Spirit and what was considered mysticism was not very easy to see. Four, women were the main target of being accused of witchcraft. This is the case of the two women we're going to talk about today. The line between talking to God and witchcraft killed them both. And then after a few years, they were both made heroes of the church because as it turned out, maybe they were talking to God. So the first is a woman named Marguerite. She was actually a writer and she wanted to write a book about spirits. And she knew that what she was writing might be on that line that could possibly get her killed. So just to be sure, she went to her priest and explained the whole book and got permission to write the book. The priest thought the book sounded interesting, and so she wrote it. It was called The Mirror of Simple Souls. Then, the Inquisitors came to town, and there were some people in the town that didn't like the book she had written. They thought she was not only a witch, but she was also teaching others to be witches. The Inquisitors asked to read the book, and they agreed. It's witchcraft. Marguerite explained she had permission to write the book, but it didn't matter. She was found guilty and burned at the stake. The sad thing is that her book had already been sent to other towns and people were reading it. They thought it was a pretty interesting book and within a few years, it was circulating all over. In fact, the Pope ended up adding it to a list of books he suggested people read. The other case is similar to this, and it's perhaps the most famous witch burning of the medieval Inquisition. In 1413, in a small village in northeastern France, a poor tenant farmer and his wife had a little girl. They named her Joan. Joan would grow up the way all poor little girls in this time period did. She would never learn to read or write. 
However, her mother made sure she learned the Bible. She went to church as often as her mother could bring her, and Joan grew up with a love and respect for the church. France was in the middle of the 100-year war, and things were looking hopeless. Joan would spend her time praying and asking God to help end the war and bring peace. In 1420, when Joan was just six years old, a treaty was made between France and England. Part of the treaty was taking the French crown, Prince Charles, off the throne and making King Henry V the ruler of both England and France. Two years later, when Joan was eight years old, the king's son, Henry VI, became the king of both England and France. Because England was taking over northern France, the people in Joan's village abandoned their homes and fled, afraid the English army would come and kill them. Five years later, when Joan was just 13, she was praying when she heard God talk to her. She heard God give her a mission. She would save France, expel France's enemies, and make Charles the rightful king of France. Joan then told God, I will do what you say, and I will make a vow of chastity, and will not marry until I have done this task. Three years later, Joan turned 16 and ran into a problem. Her father had arranged a marriage for her. However, she had not fulfilled the vow she made to God. Her father was not happy. Her vow to save France from the English was a foolish one and a childish one. Of course, a poor girl from a small village can't save France. So he tried to force the marriage. Joan took her father to court. Something unheard of of this time period. And she won. She did not have to get married. That she should not be forced to accept the match. In spring of 1428, Joan traveled to an area where those who were loyal to Charles were holding a fort. She began to tell people that she'd been sent by God to save France. For the most, people just mocked her. However, there was a prophecy that a virgin would come and lead them. So some did follow her, and soon she had a small group of loyal followers. Joan stood in front of a mirror. She took scissors and cut her long locks off. She then reached over to the clothes she'd laid out for herself. No more feminine dresses. She would put on the manly clothes of war. She turned and looked back at herself in the mirror. She didn't recognize herself anymore. She could pass as a young man. It would take 11 days to travel to see the prince. She was starting her journey. She would fulfill her vow. Joan was able to see Charles. History doesn't tell us what she said to him. We only know that she revealed something to him that God had told her, something Charles knew only God would know. And Charles believed she was in fact sent by God. We do know that Joan promised Charles he would be crowned king. Imagine, you're an advisor to Charles. There's a battle at Orleans. The English have Orleans under siege. You need to put an army together that will free Orleans from the English siege. Charles tells you he's decided to put a teenage girl from a farming village in charge of the battle because she told him stuff only God would know. You try to reason with him, but he's determined there is no changing his mind. This little girl 
will lead the army into one of the most important battles. Everyone has lost their minds. The advisors did try to convince Charles it was a bad idea, but in March of 1429, Joan led the army into one of the most important battles. You're in the army, waiting to see your new leader. You're going to fight the English and end the siege of Orleans. And then you see your leader riding towards you, a large white horse, and the rider is dressed in all white armor. Not a sight you're used to. He looks young, and as you get closer, you realize he is a she, and yeah, really young. The army was surprised to be led by a teenage girl, but they were successful. Joan actually led a few French assaults against English, and the English retreated. She had fulfilled the vow she made to God at age 13. She had saved the French from the English. The news of the victorious battle spread quickly, and Joan was suddenly the most famous warrior in France. She suddenly had many followers. Joan was then the guarding force that took Charles to be crowned the rightful king. The journey to the coronation was not an easy one. They had to travel through English territory, but Joan kept him safe, and he made it safely to the coronation. In July, only three months after Charles met Joan, he was crowned King of France. But Joan was not done fighting. She told Charles that France needed to take back Paris. Charles was unsure. That seemed like a really big task. On top of that, Charles' advisors were telling him that Joan had such a large following, she was becoming powerful. Too powerful. She was maybe more of a problem than an asset. Even though Joan had always been loyal to Charles and had never shown any greed or wanting to have power or the crown for herself. Joan did lead an effort to take back Paris. In the fight, she was thrown from her horse. The town's gates were closing to keep the English soldiers out. Joan ran and tried to get into the town as the gates were closing, but she did not make it in time. She was stuck outside the gates with no horse and no army. She was captured and brought before the English courts. And this is where she faced the Inquisition trial. They claimed she was a witch, taught heresy, and also dressed like a man. Perhaps the most shocking historical fact is that the King of France did nothing to try and get her released. He made no attempt at all to negotiate a release for her. Joan was held captive for over a year. She signed a confession where she said she never heard anything from God. She hoped this would spare her life. However, it did not. It's early morning in the old marketplace. A 19-year-old Joan is paraded through the streets and then forced onto a large pile of sticks. She's tied to the stake and the pile of sticks is lit on fire. She calls out, Hold the cross high so I can keep my eyes on it while I burn. A man holds a cross on a stick high, and through the flames, Joan keeps her eyes peeled to the cross. Joan of Arc, the most famous female to die during the Inquisition. Twenty years after her death, when she would have been 39 had she lived, Charles clears her name and proclaims her innocent. 
1920, exactly 100 years ago, the Pope made her a saint. Every year, people visit the statue of Joan that's in the Notre Dame Cathedral. Okay, so to sum up the medieval Inquisition, the two groups targeted for heresy were the followers of Wycliffe and Huss. The other groups targeted were witches. In our next episode, we're going to look at what Muslims were doing during this time period and set a scene for what would become soon the Spanish Inquisition. To hear more podcasts, watch some great videos, or read blogs, head over to laureliesiemens.com. We have many more podcasts, Bible studies, and educational tools. To help keep all these resources free to the public, you can support the podcast by subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, or donating to our donation page. See you next week.